Good morning, Elmwood Park Bible Church. Now that sounded a little weak. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13. We're going to concentrate on those first seven verses this morning. And as you're uh, turning, oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it down, burn it, you know. You know, I thought earlier... In, 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 response to my, in, in response to my sister's comments, I'll, I'll just quote Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And when the White Sox win the series in 2020, we will be comforted. That's right, you heard it here. By the way, the Bears are going to win the Super Bowl the same year, so yeah. Yeah, we're, we're hopeful. We're hopeful. We are hopeful. Um, you know, as we were singing those songs, I just could not help but re, be reminded. I hope, I hope this occurs to you at least some of the time when we're singing songs, not just the songs, not just about getting the music technically right and, and hitting the words like we should and all that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, as we sing those songs, I was, I was reminded um, and I hope that you are from time to time, of just how unique the Christian faith is, and more importantly than that, how unique our God is. All of the false systems of belief in the world tell humans to work harder, do better, be good enough, earn your way, make God happy with you. It is the Christian faith who has said, God has loved us because he is determined to do so and that he has made the way for us to have relationship with him. And because there is no hope for us to be good enough, Jesus has given us his righteousness. He has taken upon himself our sin. And at the cross, we were given life that is new as he took our death. And the resurrection validates our faith, gives us confidence that he is Worthy to be trusted. Friends, those apart from Christ in the world cannot live with that confidence and hope. And we do, not just because of what we believe, but most importantly, because of who He is. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, may you rejoice and revel in that truth. Um, And thank you, Dave, for that set, man. It was a blessing to me. You know, recently uh, when I was away in, in uh, North Carolina and visiting a number of uh, churches, talking to um, uh, some pastors I know, some pastors I met for the first time, and spending some time with uh, some people I've known for quite a while, I had an opportunity to have dinner one night with a family from uh, my first pastorate. Uh, that was over 23 years ago, and when uh, Cindy and I moved to Bertie County, North Carolina, um, a, a county that's the third largest in North Carolina in terms of land area. I know that may not mean much to you, but only 20,000 people in the county, sparsely populated. I used to tell folks in Charlotte where I was from that we had more deer than we had people, uh, and it was true. Um, but when, we, when I had dinner with this family, there was a, um, a young woman who was just a child when we moved uh, to Riverside Baptist Church, 
and uh, to sit around the table with that family. And now this uh, young girl who was but a child is now uh, married and has a child of her own who's about four years or so. And, you know, talking about some of the people and things that have happened in the community. I must confess to you that as I sat there, I felt old. And you know, in our American society, you realize that we don't generally value older people. In fact, we often describe and characterize older people as inflexible, out of touch, and as I heard one man describe a group of older people recently, we sometimes think of them as dinosaurs. Yet, my friends, that is not a biblical attitude. It's one I confess to you I have expressed uh, with sad frequency in my life. Now I've gotten to the point that some people think is old, and I think, wow, you know. But the truth of the matter, again, the most important thing is not where we are in our own personal experience. It's just flat not a biblical attitude. Now what does that have to do with us this morning? Well, as we look at these first few verses of Joshua chapter 13. We find, as Faith read for us just a moment ago, that Joshua is advanced in years. He's nearing the end of his life. And my hope for us this morning is to see in not only his experience, but the experience of the people and what God says to Joshua and his people, that we may come to understand that regardless of what age we are, it's not a matter of, of being old, but rather all of life provides for us time and again a new stage, a new opportunity to serve God in new and different ways. So regardless of how old you are this morning, I will tell you, you are older than you have ever been, and this message applies to you. Some of you will think about that in a moment, and you'll chuckle in about five minutes when you finally get it. We are... See, Dave just did. Um, We are older than we have ever been. What I want us to see about this reality is that, again, growing old is not about uh, aging, but really about a new stage and new opportunity. Three characteristics I want us to observe about that. Notice with me first that our aging does not mean God's work is done. Our aging does not mean God's work is done. Look at verse 1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. Yeah, I find that phrase amusing too, and I've got to confess to you, if I were Joshua and the Lord was to say this to me, I might... I don't know, boldly or foolishly, I've been on the wrong side of that line too many times in my life, but I might say to him, thanks, Lord, I knew that. I I hope I wouldn't be so cavalier as to call him Captain Obvious, but he is stating the obvious. You are old and advanced in years. But it's that second phrase I want us to see. And there remains yet very much land to possess. Now, if I might drive the point home about Joshua's age just a little bit, the phrase that uh, appears in the Hebrew here is a a word or a phrase that literally means going or going on. 
And so if we understand that literally, we read the text, Joshua is going on. Again, we in our contemporary language might say, Joshua is past his prime. It reminds me a little bit. Now, you have to be a serious football fan to remember this. I seriously doubt there are many Panthers fans here besides myself having grown up in Charlotte. But I remember when we were living in Arizona and they had a couple of uh, quarterbacks who went down with injuries or whatever, and they brought out Vinny Testaverde. And at that point, Vinny was in his 40s. I think he was 44 or 45 years old. And I used to tell some of my friends in Arizona when they were laughing and scoffing about that, I said, hey, he's got an extra level of protection. Not only has Vinny got the, the Panthers' offensive line around him, but he's got his walker out there that he can hit guys with to block them. That's sort of the image that I get when I read this phrase. He's past his prime. And if you don't remember Vinny Testaverde taking the Panthers to the Super Bowl, there's a reason. He didn't. <laughs> Joshua, you passed your prime, bro. But he doesn't say that it's all done. Notice that the next thing God says is not get out of the way. He doesn't say you're past your prime, so make room for somebody else. He didn't say you're past your prime, so you just need to sit down and shut up. No, he says, Joshua, you're old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. God says, Joshua, you're past your prime, but there is still work to do. There is still work to be done. The mission as a whole is still yet not accomplished. We saw a couple of weeks ago as they won some very significant battles, the children of Israel, um, we have this summary statement that the land was finally at rest from war. But again, the mission is still not fulfilled. There were some territories in the land where, uh, that were within the boundaries of Canaan where some of the, the um, uh, tribes were, were given land that they still had to subdue that. But we see here that the work still remains to be done. I've often heard 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8 quoted at funerals. I've used it at funerals. As Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but, to, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul's recognition that his time is coming to a close, his time on earth, his, his uh, earthly ministry is coming to an end. It wasn't just a matter of mere introspection or self-analysis or reflection on his life. It's important to realize that this statement that he makes to young Timothy, the young pastor, comes actually on the heels of other verses you've probably heard. 
I charge you, he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge, to, who is to judge the living and dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and complete, uh, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Man, that sounds like current day, doesn't it? As for you, he says in verse 5, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You see, Paul recognized that his own life was coming to an end, stated that clearly, but he did so in the context of saying the work of the gospel remains. The mission is not yet accomplished. The task is not done, he says to Timothy. I'm near the end of my physical life, but there is still need for the faithful preaching of the word. There's still need for the faithful proclamation of the word in order to disciple those who would claim the name of Christ and follow after him. There's still need for biblical correction and reproof. And it will only intensify, Paul said, in the future. Timothy, I'm old, but there is work that remains. You know, in several conversations over the seven plus years I served in denominational work, I heard many of my brethren say, church planting is a young man's game. In fact, that phrase came from my mouth a time or two. But I was also reminded of the way that I would address that concern and thought. When Cindy and I lived in Arizona, we were blessed to get to know a couple named Jimmy and Gladys Woods. Now, I will tell you, Jimmy and Gladys looked like they stepped out of a different time. Virtually every time I saw Gladys, she was wearing something that looked like it had a doily around her neck. And they were in their early 70s. And yet, for all of that, you, you look at them and you think, how in the world are they going to plant a church? And yet Jimmy was one of the most successful, fruitful, effective church planters we had in the state of Arizona at 72 years old. And the astonishing thing to me was that they were not just gathering people and having significant numbers in attendance, but they were baptizing new believers. Jimmy was such a faithful evangelist, and, and Gladys was, was just a, a, a joyous expression of the love of God. She loved people, and people responded to that regardless of how cool she may or may not look. And the really astonishing thing to me is that Jimmy and Gladys planted in a community that was full of families that were in their 30s and 40s. Now, friends, I'll tell you, on paper, in, in textbooks, that doesn't work. In fact, if Jimmy had come to me and say, hey, I, I, I feel called to plant this church in Red Rocks where these 30 and 40-somethings live, I'd have said to him, brother, I love you, 
but you need to plant somewhere else. How about Sun City? <laughs> and yet time and again, I was astonished as I would hear news over and over and over again about the community church at Red Rocks. Man, what a, what a tremendous work of God that was through this faithful couple in their 70s. And I found myself as I, you know, last year praying through and trying to discern God's call to plant a church in our neighborhood and thinking at 53 I may be too old. I was reminded of the Holy Spirit of the story that I would often tell other men and say it's not, you're not too old. There's still much work to be done. By the way, Jimmy and Gladys did an effective job of planting that church. They've handed over the leadership. And now in his late 70s, he's pastoring a church on the west side of Phoenix and still seeing fruitful ministry as people come to faith in Christ. There's still work to be done. There's still work to be done. The point, if it's not clear yet, is that growing older in age does not make us irrelevant nor unusable. So long as we have life, breath, and even occasional lucid thought, we have opportunity to bear fruit for our King. There is much work yet to be done. And for the same reason that it was true of Joshua, because the mission is not yet accomplished. There is still work to be done. There's still work to be done right here in Elmwood Park. There's still work to be done. Aging does not mean God's work is done. Notice also that aging affords us opportunities to serve God in new ways. Look at verse 6. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misraphoth Ma'im, even all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out. This is God speaking to Joshua, by the way. I will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half tribe of Manasseh. Remember two and a half tribes had already been given their land east of the Jordan. And what we see happening here is that while there is still work to be done, Joshua's days as a warrior are done. His days of leading the army in battle are done. His days of charging into those hostile territories with the army behind him, they're over. But again, Joshua's not done. It is a new stage of ministry for Joshua. It is an opportunity to serve God in a new way. To be the one who allots the land amongst the tribes. God didn't say, Joshua, it's time for you to sit down and do nothing. God said, Joshua, it's time for a new type of ministry. It's time for you to continue serving and leading, but in a different way. Again, we see this truth displayed in the lives of other biblical leaders. During the first two missionary journeys of of Paul, we find Paul going into 
synagogues to witness to Jews and in the marketplace and gathering spots for would-be philosophers so that he could bear witness for this Jesus among everyday people and even amongst the intelligentsia of the day. But if you read through the whole of Acts, you find that the third missionary journey eventually leads Paul to be arrested in Jerusalem. And then the legal process starts. He not only stands before the Jewish council at Jerusalem, but also the Roman governor over Judea, Felix, and his successor, Festus. He stands before Agrippa II, the regional king who served under the authority of the Roman Caesar and eventually was to testify before Caesar himself. It was in Rome, as he waited his hearing with Caesar, that Paul wrote those words from 2 Timothy 4 that I read earlier. His ministry has changed. And yet, even in doing so, we find that he is fulfilling what Jesus told Ananias Paul would do all the way back in Acts chapter 9. There God called Ananias to lay hands on Paul immediately following his conversion. And God told Ananias, He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. You see, late in his life, Paul's ministry has changed. He's not given up. He's not surrendered. He's not sold out. He's not sat down and done nothing. Even under house arrest. You know, when he writes to the Philippians, he, he tells them that his, his being there has turned out for the good of the king as he's been able to, that, that is King Jesus, because he's been able to bear witness to the Praetorian Guard. He says there are people here hearing about Jesus who would not have heard otherwise. His ministry has changed. Again, he may not be in the marketplace if we were to, to um, follow a popular preacher and see that he is arrested, we may begin to think that his ministry is hindered. Not the case with Paul. Wherever he is, he is proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, as Lord, as the sovereign one over all the world, as the one who died in the place of sinful humanity to bear their sin and to offer them eternal life. Wherever he went, that was his mission. From the very time Paul was saved, it was God's plan to have him bear witness to Jews, Gentiles, and kings. And late in his life, he is fulfilling God's mission for his life. And so it is for us. The the way we serve him might be different. The role that we have might be different. But friends, as we age, no matter how how old we are today, tomorrow may bring a new way for us to serve and to proclaim the goodness of Christ and the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We see this, of course, in our own world. In late December 2000. Four, you may remember that a tsunami in the Indian Ocean took the lives of nearly a quarter of a million people 
in 11 countries in Asia and Africa. And seeing that devastation and moved with a sense that, that we need to be engaged, then President George W. Bush, who, by the way, just this weekend reasserted his conviction that America, at least today, is indispensable to the world. And acting upon that conviction in that time and place when he was president, it wasn't just a matter of taking some governmental action, but rather he called upon two men who had been political rivals in the past, his own father and his immediate predecessor. And he asked former President George H.W. Bush and former President Clinton to join together to go to Asia and Africa to find out what was happening, to see what the needs were, to, to, to find out from the people on the ground what was needed, and then to raise money in the private and public sector to meet those needs. Now, I realize there are probably very few people here who are political junkies like me. But, you know, oftentimes when the president leaves office, there is an assumption that he is just done. He becomes irrelevant. I don't know Harry Truman personally, but I think he sort of relished that renewed anonymity. But here, our current president in that time and place had asked these two men who no longer wielded power through veto of legislation or court appointments or simply the so-called bully pulpit of being president, but he called upon them to serve not only our nation but the people of the world in a new way. Again, for us, as we age, these truths remain. You know, one of the things that I honestly hated about ministry in the South is that I can remember pastoring churches where I would hear people who were in their 60s or 70s say to me, Pastor, I've done mine. It's time for somebody else to do. Now, if you're not familiar with Eastern North Carolina lingo, that means I've worked long and hard, and I'm done doing it, and somebody else needs to step up and take the place where I have served. I've done mine. It's time for somebody else to do. Friends, again, I'll say to you, that's an unbiblical attitude. We might serve in a different way. We might, we might not hold some position we had previously held in a local church, and we might serve in some new fashion. We might not have some specific official position, but still serve as we disciple and teach others, as we sow the seeds of the gospel with our neighbors, co-workers, family, classmates. It might look different, but the ministry remains. One of the things I used to say time and again, and thankfully I don't, I don't think you guys really need to hear this, but if, if this attitude ever creeps in, you can just share it with one another. There is no retirement plan in the kingdom of God. There is no retirement plan in the kingdom of God. I believe, again, until we, until we draw our last breath, we have opportunity 
to serve, perhaps in some new way, but we still have opportunity to serve and to bring glory to the Lord. Final reality I want us to see about this new stage is that our aging affords us new opportunities to witness God's wondrous work. Again in verse 6, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrephoth Ma'im, even all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. I find it absolutely fascinating, this verse 6. God has said so far, Joshua, you're past your prime, but the land remains to be taken. And I'm going to drive out the folks that are left. And it's the fourth time we actually encounter this phrase from God in the book of Joshua. I will drive out. God had communicated time and again the same promise. Many more times of his intent, even before the children of Israel got here for generations, God had been making this promise. His covenant to rid the land of those that had been there and possessed that land and give it to the generations that followed Abraham, his descendants. Now, why is that important? God is not saying here, you're going to see me do a new thing. He says to Joshua, I am going to do what I've said I would do, and here is a new opportunity for you to see me at work, for you to see me being faithful. Again, while his stage of ministry and his role, Joshua's role might have been different, the mission still hasn't changed. And God says to him, in a new way, in a new opportunity, you're going to get to see me continue to be faithful. One last time I'll refer to Paul's life and ministry. As he awaited a hearing with Caesar, he wrote again to the Philippians. And he said that while his, his circumstance of imprisonment might not be wonderful for him personally. As I mentioned a moment ago, he says it is important for the furtherance of the gospel. It is important for those who might not have heard to now hear. And even as he was imprisoned, Paul said that he was anticipating the opportunity to stand before Caesar to bear witness to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior as the sovereign one over all of creation. Paul said, I'm looking forward to a new opportunity to see God's faithfulness played out in my life and for his glory and the accomplishment of his mission. Not whining about circumstances, not complaining. And frankly, I don't know you guys, but I, I'm thankful I've, I've never been under arrest in a situation like this, I've never had to be in jail. But here he is, and rather than complaining about the circumstances, he says, this is a new opportunity for me to see God's faithfulness played out in and through my life.
Friends, if this is not obvious to you yet, time marches on. Our lives change. Our communities change. Our churches change. And oftentimes changes are difficult to swallow. But friends, they bring us new opportunities to see God's wondrous work. His mission hasn't changed. It's not going to. He doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't need a plan B. We have the opportunity as we grow old, as we age, as life changes, we have new opportunities to see God being faithful to that And I must tell you, as I prepared for this message, I personally felt under conviction that too often I had allowed myself to think that I was maybe past my prime. And I recognize at this age, my ministry will and has changed. I see it happening even now. But I'm grateful for the new opportunities that I've had to witness God at work the new opportunities I've had to to meet some people I wouldn't have otherwise met, to find myself with an audience of those I might not have imagined sitting in front of and being able to bear witness of the good news of Jesus. I don't know what stages of life are ahead of you or how close you are to some change in stage of life, but my dear friend, let me assure you, that every stage of life, so long as we have breath, gives us the opportunity to serve him and bring him glory. Quickly, let me call your attention to the bottom line. Again, I say, and I would even commend this to you to perhaps commit to memory, there is no retirement plan in the kingdom. There is no retirement plan in the kingdom. Life experience provides new ways to be fruitful. And a lifespan of ministry allows us to see more of God's glory born out in and through us again for Him. Will you bow your heads with me this morning?